Good morning. Glad you're here. Grateful for Dusty and Albie taking the youth, getting them out of their parents' hair for a day or two. It's going to be a great time for them. This is week two of the end time series. Last week we spoke about the end times and the rapture of the church, or the term in the Bible is the catching away of the saints. Uh, grateful to be able to study the end times and look at it from a perspective of a how-to guide not to fear the unknown. Uh, when speaking about end times, I watch a lot of people's face uh, automatically turn to a face of fright, the word that they are fearing what will take place like it's unknown. And there are some unknowns that you won't know at all or the times or the seasons and things like that, but we can know a lot of things that the Bible does describe for us. And it's important to do that because it's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, it's for us. Amen? If Scripture teaches uh, about an issue, we should take it to heart to be something that uh, we should know. And we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3 is our text for this sermon series. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul the Apostle speaking to Timothy uh, his understudy about some things to take care of. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. That's bad on uh, Father's Day, right? Unthankful, they shall be unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and take captive of gullible women, loaded down with the sins laid away by various lusts, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these do also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but will progress no farther, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, the purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch. In Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to suffer persecution. Ain't you excited? Everybody's just ready for persecution, right? Ready for people to beat you down and say bad things about you and persecute you and ridicule you. It's what's... Uh, it's what's coming to us as believers. Verse 13, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for fathers and all those in attendance at Bethesda and even those that couldn't get out today. Lord, we just pray a blessing over all of those men of God that you've called into ministry and to do ministry of family. God, we thank you for your word. Let it establish us and let us learn today. In Jesus' name, everyone says amen. So the end times, week one, we talked about the how-to guide of not to fear the unknown. And we took a poll last week and nobody in the room uh, claimed they knew it all. So that's a good thing. We're in a group of like-minded peers. Amen? We're all just studying and trying to find our way through life and do the best we can and the best we know how. So we learned last week of how to prepare. How to prepare for... Uh, the second coming of Jesus, when that he comes to receive the church, and how the church is going to be a rapture of the church, and we learned how to prepare for that, to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life, to give up our old ways for new ways, and become the new person that he called us to be. And as we looked at that, the how-to last week was how to prepare. This week, I want us to learn how to study. We need to learn how to study. Because in the last days, if perilous times are coming, that means troublesome times. If they're coming upon us at a greater rate than they ever have before, then we need to be ready to study, to be diligent to study, and to know what God's Word says about the situations that we face in life. How many faced some things that you wish you had studied beforehand that you knew how to act in the midst of the moment? Amen? We need to be prepared, and by preparing, you will study. And if we study God's word, it will be a light in a dark place. It will be the thing that leads us out of the troubles that we face. And we will be secure in knowing that our salvation is sure in Jesus Christ. So as Paul's writing to Timothy here, that we're looking at this, the, the, the end time, and it's called in a theological term, it's called eschatology. It means the study of end times. And I've read books and classes on eschatology to try to figure out the end times and how it's going to take place and how it's going to unfold. And I really believe that the rapture of the church is the next thing to happen according to scripture that all I've read. And the next thing that would follow that, so if the rapture is the next thing to happen, everybody say, now what? What's going to happen next? We need to know what's next in uh, that timeline. And a few years ago, uh, an author, Tim LaHaye, wrote a book uh, a series of books about the end times and he led them down a pathway and he called the book a series Left Behind and how that people would know what to do when they're left behind and what would happen and they made it into a movie and you can watch that and but in saying that you got to be careful in believing what men says versus what God's word says amen, amen? We can be led astray by men that will teach us something that don't line up with Scripture. So what I always say is whenever we're studying Scripture, studying end times, studying any topic, is to study and let Scripture interpret Scripture. So last week I did that. I told you if we're going to talk about the catching away of the saints, then I want to find other places in the Bible that speaks about the catching away of the saints so that we don't just take one verse out of context, but we take it in its entirety. And we're going to do that today with uh, the next thing on the, that we're going to face uh, after the rapture of the church. If you're left behind, the way Tim LaHaye says, 
that there's going to be something known as the tribulation. The tribulation is a time of trials. My mom is sincere, sincerely freaked out whenever she gets a letter in the mail that says jury duty. She's never had to go before the judge to be judged because of a crime or something. Have you ever even got a speeding ticket? Just paid it and got out of it. Okay, that's easier. So if you go before a trial or you go before a judge, uh, we don't like that feeling of having our uh, future in somebody else's hands, right? And that's the, the time of tribulations is going to be that fear of the trial of our fate is in someone else's hands. So that time of tribulation is according to Scripture and if you study end-time events and you look at it, you have to go to multiple places to find this. And the place that it talks about in the Bible about the tribulation is Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 tells us that there is a great tribulation. That there's going to be a time where that after the rapture of the church, the church is gone, all the Christians are gone, that there's going to be a, a series of events to happen, and it's the book of Revelation. Revelation 7, 14 says there will be a great tribulation. It will not be any fun. I can assure you that. Think about the world we live in today, and we live in a world where that if we face a situation in our life, that we can maybe call somebody and have them to pray for us. Right? Has anybody got somebody you call if something's going on in your life? Maybe you face... Facebook message them, maybe you text them, maybe you send them a little video or whatever, but you're trying to find somebody to pray for you, right? So just think about this for a minute. If the rapture is the first thing to happen, then all the Christians are gone. You have nobody to call to pray for you. That's scary enough in itself. I don't want to be left behind because I don't want to face that. We've got to be prepared and we've got to study. So in this tribulation, this seven years in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, it's the last chapter of the book of Daniel, he goes through and he spells out a timeline uh, that God is giving Daniel this picture. Daniel is a prophet of God in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 12, it spells out in timeline and it tells, because Daniel says, well, how long is this going to take place? How long is this going to happen? And God tells him, for time, times, and a half. Well, Daniel's still kind of confused. What if, I, what if you ask me, say, well, how long is that going to take? How long is the youth going to be gone? Well, time, times, and a half. <laughs> I, I, I don't get that, God. Anybody with me? That's what Daniel said. He's like, God, I, I don't understand. You're going to have to put it in days. Put it in terminology I can understand. So God says, okay, it's 1,200 blah, blah days. That's the first part of it. Then there's going to be 1,300 some days after that. That makes a little more sense, right? So now we go. We got about twenty-five hundred and some days if you add both those up in the end of Daniel chapter twelve, which is about seven years of time. So how long is the tribulation going to take place, or how long is the tribulation going to happen? About seven years. It's a little bit more than that if you add up all those days. That's what's going to take place, and it's going to be broken into two separate categories. The first stage will be the first amount of days, and the second stage the second amount of days. So if we put all Scripture and compare it into uh, one big pile of trying to understand the tribulation, we'll see that the first half is different than the second half. So this week we're talking about the first half. 
what's going to take place. I believe, according to reading Scripture and reading these verses that Paul writes to Timothy, that if the perilous times are going to happen, think about how bad it is now about people wanting to do away with God. They don't want him in school. They took prayer out, right? They don't want him in our society. They say, leave God out of our society. Think about that. That's with Christians living here. What will it be like in the time of tribulation where there's no Christians to stand up or defend the faith? They will be Bible-burning ceremonies, I assure you. They will try to do away with the Word of God. The Bible says, though, that they'll tempt and they'll try, but the Word of God will never be done away with. It's established forever. It will never go away. They'll try to burn most of them, and I'm sure they'll come into churches because their church houses will be empty. Christians will be gone in the rapture. Tribulation times are here. They'll go into pastor's study office, and they'll burn the books on the shelves. They will not want that information to be portrayed to the public. So if we want to study, when should we study? You better study now. <laughs> and you better be ready and prepared so that you don't even have to face the tribulation anyway. Amen? But you need to study. Study it. Try to learn it. Do everything you can. So how do we study this? I, some people say, well, I read the Bible and I, I can't understand what it says. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Can I tell you I've said that? I'm the pastor of your church, and I'll tell you right now, I'll read the Bible sometimes, and I'll say, well, ah, I don't really get that. I've got to dig around in it a little bit, right? I've got I to pull some things out, and I've got to go cross-reference it, and I've got to look through, and, and Mom brought our concordance back that her, uh, my grandma gave her way back a long time ago when they first got married, and a concordance is a word used to that didn't have Internet. It was a different day than today. There was no cell phone. There was no Internet, no computer, nothing like that. You had a Bible, and you had a concordance. And a concordance told you every word that was in the Bible and every place in the Bible that word was. Anybody ever seen one? Maybe I better get one just for show and tell. I've got more than one of them in there, but this is one mom brought me back. So this is a concordance. It's pretty awesome, really, because when I first got saved in 1999, the Internet wasn't a big thing. It wasn't telling you. I, I was scared of Y2K. The world was going to end and all that. You know, I was pretty freaked out by all that. But when I first got saved in 1999, all I knew was what my grandma taught me from my early childhood and seen my mom do in studying Bible. So what I do? I got me a concordance. I got one, too, at home, just like this. So if I wanted to know about hell, you can flip this book open, find the word hell. It'll tell you every place in the Bible that hell's written. That's pretty awesome. It, it allowed me to study in a deeper way than what I could study on my own trying to memorize where every verse was. There is no... Here's the verse I want you to know for today. Let me say this first. In the 1970s, there was an author named Hal Lindsey, and he wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, that book, he wrote about end times. He studied end times, and he's a deep 
theological type teacher, but he wrote this book about uh, late great planet Earth, he called it. And in that book, he predicted that the, that the rapture of the church was going to happen in 1988. Ain't you guys glad that didn't happen? It'd be bad, wouldn't it? Because now, rapture would have already happened. Seven years of tribulation would have already happened. Now we're in the millennial reign. We're, we're getting farther along here, right? There'd be no youth group going to youth camp. It'd be bad times. Well, he wrote this book, and he said that Jesus is coming back in 1988. Everybody say, I got a problem with that. Right? We got a problem with that. Why? Because Scripture tells us not to. We read it last week in Acts chapter 1, right? Where they're standing there deciding, when, Jesus, when, when are you coming? When are you going to set up a kingdom? When's all this going to happen? He said, it ain't for you to know. It's in the power of the Father's hands only. Is the only one that knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man's going to come. Matthew 24 says that too. Jesus was telling them, you don't know, I don't know. Only Daddy knows. It's Father's Day, amen? Some things Daddy knows that not everybody else knows, and that's okay. Amen? It's all right. I'm not a misogynist. I believe in women standing up and having authority in your home and being a godly example to your kids. I'm not saying anything about that, but today's Daddy's Day, and I can do it if I want to. It's Daddy's Day. Happy Father's Day, men. But if somebody goes to predicting dates, I've got a problem with it because the Bible's got a problem with it. It ain't because of me or my philosophy or what I think or any of that. It's what does the Bible say. The Bible says don't worry about the day or the hour. Don't worry about that because you ain't got authority over it anyway. It's God's to handle. So don't predict dates. But how Lindsay did that because he goes in and he tries to make these ideals and draw symbols and make all this big pathway of what he thinks about the end times is going to be. And he, he said, you know what? Well, Israel took place whenever Israel became a nation again after World War II in 1948. He said that it says this generation, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, this generation will see the Son of Man coming. And he says that a generation is 40 years. So he added 1948 plus 40, and he says Jesus is coming in 88. Kind of makes sense, don't it? Everybody's like, wow, he's a really good teacher. I never thought of that. Boy, he paired all that together. Isn't he a genius? So everybody's living through the 70s and then the 80s. The church is just on fire, and revival's happening, and everybody's getting ready, and you know 1988's coming. And then another author writes a book, 88 Reasons Jesus Will Come in 88, and they got all this stuff going on. Everybody's like, oh, man, Jesus is coming in 88, dude. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. 88 comes and goes. Now we come into 1989. It's like, that didn't happen. Guess what Hal Lindsey has to do? He recants his statements. Then he says, well, I don't know how long a generation is. I must have missed a 40-year deal. <laughs> Amen. I, there's unknowns. I don't fear the unknowns, though. Why? Because it's up to God. It doesn't matter if a generation lasts a thousand years. It don't matter to me because if that's what God wants to do, it's up to him anyhow. I don't need to fear that. I don't need to figure out a day or time. I just have to tell you to be ready and to study. This verse, though, is what leads me to keep you from following false doctrine or false teaching. And I, I want you to challenge everything I say. As your pastor, I'm telling you right now, I need every one of you to challenge every word I say. Because you need to find out for yourself and study. I will not lead you astray. I do my best to try to figure this stuff out for you and to help us learn as a church and grow us along and pro progress as a church. But don't think 
And don't say, well, Pastor Ben said. Always base your beliefs on what the Bible says. Amen? And I do my best to teach you what the Bible says because I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul said, I don't want my brethren to be ignorant. Too many ignorant brethren out there. Amen? Paul said, I don't want you to be that way. But this is Peter says this. This is a really good verse that, that really helped me to not trust Hal Lindsey or Tim LaHaye or others in eschatology. 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. No scripture is of private interpretation. So God isn't locking it away and only revealing it to a few. What I'm telling you is, God wants to reveal his word to you through his Bible. And he's not going to allow it to be locked up where the, like the Catholic Church did years ago. And I love Catholic people. We've had some good Catholic neighbors that fed us cake. And it was awesome. Amen. <laughs> The sister, what was their names down there at Middlesbrough? Moyers. They washed our house. They washed our house so well one day that some guy come and hooked to my trailer and pulled it out of the driveway, and they said, well, somebody's borrowing our trailer. Worst thing was, we never loaned it, Pap. <laughs> somebody stole our trailer. <laughs> they were such good neighbors that they noticed at least, right? But Catholics used to believe that you couldn't translate the Bible into English because if everyday peasants would have the Bible in their own language, they would get confused and they needed a priest to teach out of the Latin Vulgate could only be the one to only present the Bible from his perspective. So all the parishioners had to go and get the priest interpretation of what it was. I believe this verse right here does away with that. Amen? This verse does away with Pastor Ben's interpretation of it or Pastor Dusty's interpretation of it or Pastor Wells' interpretation of it or Pastor Andrew's interpretation of it. This puts us into perspective to say that the Bible is true to everybody and God will reveal it to whoever he will. It's not up to me to say that Dolly needs to hear from me. Dolly can hear from God. This is not of a private interpretation. And I love it whenever Val walked up to me right after she started coming to church and she's coming and just loves God, loves people and volunteers and helps and all this. And she said, we got to have Bible studies. I want to learn. I want to learn. I don't understand the Bible. I was there too. You know the best way to understand the Bible? Read the Bible. Amen? The Holy Spirit will not lead you astray. He will guide you in all truth. So if Val wakes up one day and she's dealing with anxiety or fear, she can either get her an old-fashioned Strong's Concordance and look up anxiety and fear and start studying through the Bible and see what all God says about it, or she can get on her phone and get her app out and go on the Bible app and start studying what the Bible say about anxiety. She can Google what does the Bible say about anxiety. There's people does this work, and you can see for yourself. It's not of my interpretation. It's up to God and you delivering you out of our way of thinking because we've got stinking thinking amen how many had your own rationale before getting saved that God has changed your mind since 
when you read a verse in the Bible? Everybody should be shaking your head yes. That when I read a verse, and that wasn't what I thought, but man, his word is true. And I'm going to go with this because the way I was thinking was wrong. Amen? No private interpretation. You don't have to depend on Hal Lindsey or what's the one on there? Rexella? What's her name? Jack Van Ampey. I ain't telling you not to watch them. Watch them. That's okay. But always go back to see what does the Bible say. What's it teach? Tribulation. How long is it going to happen? How long? Seven years. Broke up in how many parts? How many? How long in them? 1,200 and some days and 1,300 and some days, so about 2,500 days. So two different parts, right? So some people get to go to heaven, some people don't. Isn't that awesome? We need to have a rapture, just to put this in perspective today. All right? So you want to go to heaven? Sure? Okay, go up here. You, you want to go to heaven? Yeah, all you do. Well, dang, man, come on up. How about you? You want to go to heaven? Well, you better get up here. You going? You want to go to heaven? Oh, come on up. Yeah. What about you? you pro probably. Okay, he, he probably wants to go to heaven. You, you want to go? Yeah, you? You? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That looks like a pretty good 17% uh, Christian nation. Somewhere there about, right? All you guys, you're getting left behind. That's scary. In our society that we're living in, about 17% of the people have trusted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and will be raptured out of this world and people will be left behind without a praying mom, without a praying grandma, without a praying dad, without a praying grandpa. And it's going to be a sad state of affairs. Don't get left behind. So now we've got some tribulation going on. Tribulation, trials, troubles, they're going to be killing people. It's going to be bad times. So this group over here, you're the first half. So you found a Bible somewhere. You hid it in your basement, hid it underneath your house. The Bible police come around and try to gather them all up and say, it's tribulation time. We'll have Bible burnings. But you guys have been left behind. They're already gone. You're just trying to pray to figure it out. Holy Spirit ain't going to be here convicting the way we feel conviction today about sin. It's going to be taken out, lifted. So you're going to be studying the Bible. So if you stand up for the Bible and say, I want the Bible to be true, and I want the Bible to be what I believe, and I remember Grandma telling me, and I remember Mom telling me, and I remember Papa telling me, and I remember Dad telling me, and I'm going to stand up for it. The Bible says they'll behead you. They're going to decapitate you. And you have to prove your faith in God by offering your life. It's 
first three and a half years, you're going to go through that kind of stuff. It's going to be bad times. But here in the middle of the road, now the Bible says the son of perdition is going to be revealed. So that's the Antichrist. When this happens, he's going to release all hell on earth. The first three and a half years is going to be pretty bad. The second three and a half years is going to be really bad. You don't want to hang out and wait and say, I'll do it again some other day. I'm not going to wait till next week's church service. I'm not going to put it off another time and say, well, some other day and I'll wait till next year and I want to get my driver's license first and I want to go on dates first. And this stuff I went through in my head when I was your guys' age, going to church every weekend, sitting there and the preacher preaching, Kermit Richmond saying, come up and pray if you want to pray. I'd sit in the back, wanted to, Dennis. I wanted to go up bad. Every week I'd say, nah, I'll wait till after I get my license so I can get out and jar around and do what I want to do. I'll wait till after this happens before I do that. Finally, at the age of 17, I went to a revival with my aunt to her church, and it's a pretty lively, wild church. I'm talking wide open, wild church. And I went up to the altar and I prayed. It was awesome. I felt like I, I went down to pray, and I got up. And my girlfriend at the time, she was there. She prayed right beside of me. And we got up, and her neighbor was a hoodlum that I didn't like very much. Actually, I wanted to just thump his head, but I wouldn't. And whenever I got up and stood up from that altar and I turned around, guess who was standing right in front of me? That neighbor. I disliked him wholeheartedly. But Dennis, when I stood up and turned around and I seen him, there was a love there where there used to be a hate there. Amen. And God changed my heart that night. I did turn away from him and I walked away from him and I went back to doing what I used to do. But at that moment, I know I was saved, Dusty. There's no, some people say, well, you wasn't really saved because you didn't stay saved. Baloney. The Bible's got places full of places that talks about turning your back on God and walking away from him. But I was always afraid of end times. I was always afraid of the rapture. I was afraid to go to sleep at night, man. When I knew I wasn't living right, I was afraid to go to sleep, afraid the rapture would happen during the night. Scary stuff. But we ain't supposed to live in fear. We're supposed to live in faith, right? These bunches raptured. You bunches beheaded in the first three and a half years. These guys are getting all hell to pay. It's bad enough for you. It's even worse for them after the Antichrist is revealed. Tribulation is going to be bad times. How do we study? There's a scripture that I want you guys to know. It's 2 Timothy 2, 15. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly divided in word of truth. You ought to study to show yourself approved. So... You just graduated. You had to study to show yourself approved to get a diploma, didn't you? God's word says we have to study it to show ourselves approved to be ready for a rapture. Here's our diploma. Here's your diploma for the rapture. Study to show yourself approved. Let's be wise to salvation. And if you read all the way through 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
there's chapter two and read all the way to the end of that. We don't have time today. I'm gonna run out of time because I've got youth group hoodlums up here ready to go to camp. But it talks about all kinds of things for a father figure in a house. And I want you to know today, the men in this room, whether you've got kids or you don't have kids, I don't have kids, but I've got all kinds of hoodlums. I borrow everybody else's kids, Dennis. If I get lonely and needing a kid, I, I've got plenty of kids to go house to go visit, right? There's all the parents around here like, yeah, come on over, just do anything and hang out with them. I have them all. <laughs> I'm lucky I get to go home. <laughs> and I love kids, I really do, I love kids. We've been going to ball games this summer and stuff and little Lucas Quinn, uh, he was at church this morning at Vanceburg campus, and I, I just love Lucas. He, he can't even talk. He can't say any words. But I can sit there in a chair with him, Tanya, and know when he walks up and hugs me. Love isn't words. Love is action. Second Timothy, Paul's writing to his Boy, he left in charge of a church, and he calls him. He said, I love you like a son, Timothy. He tells him, I love you like a son, and Dusty's like my son. I don't have kids, but Dusty just, I know his dad. I hung out with his dad when I was a teenager. I was sanded cars with your dad. I hung out at Mike Clark's all the time because it was right across the road from us. I didn't know you guys from Adam. Here we come back to Lewis County and end up in church, and they say, look around, and we get become friends with people, and next thing you know, we end up meeting Dusty. Dusty loves Albie. Dusty and Albie have a wedding. One night, me and Leslie sat in a car with them and asked them if they'd like to be the youth pastor at Bethesda Assembly of God. He said, I'll pray about it. I said, good, probably ought to. And 14,000 months later, <laughs> he come and he said, okay, I'd like to be a youth pastor. And we went through an interview process, and we hired him to be a youth pastor, and I'm so grateful because look at this. This don't happen by accident. This happens on purpose, and God had called him to that. And whenever he came and he started teaching, I started showing him leadership stuff, and, and I just fell in love with Dusty. I love you too, Brandon. You can be my boy too if you want to be. <laughs> but, man, Dusty's got a connection. And it's awesome. And I love him like a son. And I, I'm barely old enough to be his dad, but I could be his dad if I was, got married young, I guess. I don't know. How old are you? 29? Yeah, and I'm 44, so I'd been 15. I'd been a little early, wasn't it, Dennis? Yeah. Don't go trying that. Stay away from that. You end up with one of them. Look at that. How would you like to have Dusty for a son? Lord have mercy. Don't do that. Yeah, we're pray about that. Yeah, take it, take it all back. But Paul tells Timothy all through that second chapter, and he tells him all kinds of things to watch out for because people are going to do certain things and people are going to be a certain way. And he tells him to study and show yourself to prove unto God workmen need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If I could teach anything, and if you fathers and dads, even if you don't have kids, affect your society, affect your culture, affect the group of people that you're around on your job, be an influence. And if you prove yourself to God by studying, people are going to take notice. And it's going to change the people that's around you. 
Brandon, you're, you're a good dad. I, I watched when you come in a while ago. Well, no matter what Miranda says, you're a good dad. He come carrying that little baby in here, the first trip to church service right there. Look at him. He's just staring up and having a good old time. And belly full and diaper full. And <laughs> don't get any better than that. Brandon picked him up and he took him around and showed him off to everybody. Let Francis hold him. He's a good dad. We ought to be good dads. But there's some people don't have a dad or have lost their dad. That gives us the opportunity to be a good dad. And I'm, I challenge you men of God, be that dad, a father to the fatherless. Be that good influence in your culture to people that don't know right from wrong or good from bad or what the Bible says or what it don't say. And I want us today to stand. You guys can stand too. Yeah, you can stand right there. It's 1231. I'm right on the queue. This is perfect. Right on getting it done. Love you, buddy. Three different philosophies about tribulation. Some people say that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. Some people say the rapture will happen halfway through. And some people say it will happen after the tribulation's over. It's called pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. So I try to study to find out all I can find out about it. I believe in pre-tribulation. That means I believe the church goes before the first three and a half years. Okay? That's who I am. That's what I believe according to Scripture. That's going to happen first. But today's Father's Day. So what I want us to do is the men in the room, I want people to circle around the men in the room. And I want, according to Scripture in Hebrews, it says that there is a doctrine of laying on of hands. I believe in that. The Bible says if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, let them anoint them with oil, and pray the prayer of faith over them, they'll save the sick. I believe in that. The Bible talks about laying on of hands. It's a gift. It's a calling. It's something the church should do. So I want our youth group to help us with that too. So the men in the room, I want you to just stand where you are. Some of the ladies around them there, gather around them. And I want us just to lay hands on those individuals in the room. So nobody's alone. Nobody's alone. Go find somebody. You don't have to pray out loud. I'll pray as a whole. But I want to make sure that every man in the room has got somebody laying hands on them and praying. Now, don't huddle all of them up on one and get over his path. He's got Rhea over there. She needs some help. You got to have more prayer than that. Oh, there you go. You got a daughter in there too. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Father's Day. God, I pray today that you would just be an encouragement to those father figures in the room for the men of God. God Lord, I just pray over them. Lord, that anointing would flow from the bottom of their head to the top of their, or top of their head to the bottom of their feet. And Lord, that you would just be with them. Lord, that you would allow them to study your word. Lord, that they would know all truth. Lord, that they would do away with the ways of life. Lord, where we do what we want to do. But Lord, that you would allow them to be the man of God you've called them to be. And God, we just pray today, God, that your will would be accomplished in their life. That they would be an example to their community. And Lord, we just thank you for them. And we praise you for them. 
God, that you would just be with them today. Lord, I thank you for these teenagers that are going away on this trip. And God, we pray your protection over them. Lord, for the teenagers, God, that they would come to know your word. And Lord, as Dusty brings forth messages this week, God, that they would just hear and it would be grafted in their heart and it would become truth to them, God. Lord, be with us as we go. Help us to do what you call us to do. And let us be ready. Let us be prepared. And let us study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.